Our topic tonight is shotguns. <laughs> shotguns. Started a church, and the ABCs of prayer preserved it. What a title. <laughs> but it's true. I want you to share with me, and I want to share with you, and we'll share together, seven great Bible facts. And if we can capture these facts, if we can assimilate them, digest them, put them into our system, our spiritual system, they'll, not be, they'll mean very much to our Christian life. Number one, God is delighted to answer prayer. He's delighted. Psalm 37.4, the prayer of the upright is his delight. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We don't have to try to put God in the corner. We don't have to try to overcome God's reluctance. Amen? God is eager, delighted. He's invited us again and again. He's even commanded us to ask. Number two, God loves to do the impossible. Luke 1, 37. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. He wants us to think in those terms. We have a God that spoke this world into existence with the breath of his mouth. Is anything in this world impossible with him? Never. Number three, faith acts. James 2.18. When we come to God in faith, faith acts. Faith isn't just trust. It is that. But faith, since it trusts, it acts on its trust. All through the Bible, faith acts. How, how do we know? When God promised his children, Jericho, as recorded in Joshua 6, and we covered it one night before, he expected them to act on his promise, Joshua 6. They were to act by, by actual physical action, marching around the city, and then to shout. Faith acts. The Bible says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. But in Joshua 6, the word faith isn't used at all. They acted. Since their actions of faith, since their words of faith, God accepts as faith itself. God doesn't expect a man who is trusting to just sit down and say, I trust. I am to act my faith. I am to speak my faith. I am to say, Lord, I believe you. I claim your promise. You are doing it. When Gideon was promised the Midianitist Midianitish host in Judges 6. God said, I've given them into your hands, but you take trumpets, you take, you take uh, uh, pitchers, and you take lights. And at the given signal, you break the pitchers and blast the trumpets and shout. It doesn't say one word about faith, but Hebrews 11 says that was faith. So when you and I talk faith, Sincerely, in God, God says, that's faith. When we act our faith, he said, that's faith. Whether you have any feeling or not isn't the question. If I talk faith in God, if I talk sincere faith, 
if I act sincerely out my faith, God says, that's faith. Aren't you glad you don't have to depend on these fleeting feelings? If you're depressed, it has nothing to do with God. God keeps his word no matter how we feel. Aren't you glad? God doesn't say, you know, <coughs> if you don't feel good, I'm not going to do it. Neither does God say, if I don't feel good, neither do I do it. God doesn't work on feelings. He gives his word and he keeps his word. And we don't have to depend on feelings either. God has given a promise. We have a right to claim it. I've borrowed much money from banks through my life. <laughs> we go to the banker, say, I want to borrow $450. For many years, I only borrowed $450 because if I borrowed $500, I had to give a, a financial statement. So I always ask for $450. <laughs> and I'd pay, I'd pay my note. All paid up. A few months later, I would come as soon as I figured enough time had elapsed. I'd go back to my banker. I want to borrow 450 again. Okay, sign the note. Every time, I kept my word and I paid my note on time. So he knew that I'd keep my word. Now, you know, wouldn't it be a tragic thing if I went to a banker someday and I said, look, I would like to now b borrow $450 again. And he'd say, Brother Kuhn, I never loan money to a man, even if he promises to return it, I never loan money if I don't feel good. And today I have the stomachache. And you know what I'd say? No stomach aching around me, please. You have the record that I keep my word. Feeling has nothing to do with it. You go to a doctor, take care of your stomach ache, but you go to your till because you know that I keep my word. I know God keeps his word, don't you? So you and I have a right to act on his word and to talk faith in his word, and it delights God. Number four. Faith is willing to be inconvenienced. Faith is willing to be inconvenienced. My friends, when you and I go down through the story of the Bible, the history, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we find that men of faith were not expecting a smooth path. They recognized that there were pilgrims and, and strangers in the world, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, and they looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. They were a part of the great controversy. They were soldiers of Jesus Christ. They weren't asking whether they would have to live or die. Their whole soul was in it. They were willing to be inconvenienced. Abraham, the father of the faithful, obeyed God, not knowing where he went. That's inconvenience. I think of Bill and Robin Hanna, who started a year ago. And every church, they, they haven't a motor home yet because God hasn't given them money to get the motor home yet. But he's going to. They go into church 
actually sleep in a church room. Sabbath morning, they have a church Sabbath school class, so they get out, body boots and baggage, get back again after it's over. And they have bushels of stuff as part of our team. They're willing to be inconvenienced because they have faith in God. Aren't you glad? You can't find anybody in the Bible who had faith who wasn't willing to be inconvenienced. The whole chapter 11 of Hebrews tells the story of men who were willing to be inconvenienced. Their faith in God meant that they were not sitting around passively. The spirit of Calvary surged through their blood vessels. They knew that the Christ who gave his life to die for them or would come and give them his life was worth emulating. And they were willing to be inconvenienced. They were willing to suffer hardship. They were willing to die for his cause. My friends, may Laodicea say, Lord, I'm willing by your grace to be inconvenienced for the sake of Calvary and for the sake of souls. What do you say? Faith is willing to be inconvenienced. Number five, faith is willing to wait. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah. Uh, that's where it hit. Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Faith is willing to wait. Faith doesn't say, now, Lord, Lord, here, you get on the ball. I'm not going to wait any longer. Faith doesn't say that. Faith says, Lord, I'm resting in the Lord. I'm wait, waiting patiently for you. You have creator power and Calvary love. Creator power means you're strong enough, mighty enough to do it. Calvary means you love me enough to do it. And with creation power and Calvary love, Lord, I can afford to wait. You're interested. Calvary interested in me. You have supreme, eternal, infinite wisdom. I can afford to wait on you, for you'll never keep your word. It will come to pass at the proper time. Moses waited 40 years, and he started his ministry at 80. So you don't have to come around to me and say, how old are you, Brother Kuhn? I've got six years yet to go before starting. He started at 80. <laughs> Some of you who are older don't think our work is done. How about that? Wait on the Lord. Wait patiently for him. He will bring it to pass. All right? Number six. Faith receives, in the end, faith receives fabulous answers. Faith receives fabulous answers. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me, I will answer thee, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you don't know. Ephesians 3, 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How about that? Number seven. But usually, number seven, usually God answers us 
in entirely different way than we expect. And that is important too. Isaiah 42, 16. I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. That they what? Knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. How is he going to answer our prayer? Not your way, not my way. It's enough for us to claim God's promise. But don't tell God, beloved, don't tell God how to do it. That's presumption. Don't tell God when or how. Just say, Lord, I, prayer isn't telling you. Prayer is asking you. Prayer is merely asking and believing that you'll do what you promised and it will leave the time and the how to you. And it will usually be completely different from what I expect. I found that all my Christian life, again and again and again, I've said, now let's see. The Lord will just have to do it this way or this way or this way. I've still given him three choices. But he has a thousand ways that I don't even know about. A mighty spectrum of wisdom is up there. And he usually does it differently so that we will know, wait a minute, wasn't I, wasn't I foolish to expect God to answer my way? How many people have come to me and they said, now I'm claiming a promise from the Lord to save my loved one. I said, thank the Lord. So I've asked him to come at the 7.30 meeting Thursday night. And I said, now Lord, you have that person come 7.30 Thursday night. You know what? The words 7.30, Thursday night, are not even in the Bible. We're making up our own words and then asking God to fulfill our words. No, he doesn't have to come 7.30 Thursday night to be saved. Amen? God knows the best time. 7.30 Thursday night might be the very worst service he could attend. And God knows the end from the beginning. Let's relax and let God do things his way. What do you say? Let's stop telling God, Lord, you must do it this way. No, no. He mustn't do any such thing. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things his way? <laughs> not my way, his way. Fabulous answers, his way. It was about 1883, I think. See, how many years ago was that? <laughs> about 1883, there was a fine Seventh-day Baptist church in Lincoln Center, New York. That's my hometown. By the way, that town, <clears throat> Lincoln Center, New York, is not even on the map. <laughs> we call it a wide spot in the road, but the road isn't even wide. Just a few houses there, Lincoln Center. They had a Baptist church, a Seventh-day Baptist church. Fine people, <clears throat> lovely saints. But there was a group there in the Seventh-day Baptist church who believed that Jesus was coming again. I believe for several years they'd been espousing this blessed hope. You know, back there in those days, there were very few churches that were teaching Christ's second coming. When I was a boy, there were very few. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was one of the very few 
<clears throat> that taught that Jesus is soon coming. And when some of these good Seventh-day Baptists begin to espouse this beautiful, lovely truth that our Lord is coming soon, the other dear Seventh-day Baptists felt that they were presumptuous. And they said, we don't want you to get up in testimony service and tell us that the Lord is coming soon because we don't believe so. But they said, but we love the thought of his coming. We love the, well, we love the Lord too, but we believe he's coming. You know, all through the Bible, all through the New Testament, we are taught to believe that he's coming soon. Did you know that? Never once has he said to put it off. We love that thought. We're, we're, we're anticipating his coming. Well, they said, then you'll have to have your meeting at a separate time in the church. So the Seventh-day Baptist had theirs in the morning. The Seventh-day Baptist Adventists had theirs in the afternoon, I understand. But as the months and years came and went, the Seventh-day Baptist said to the Seventh-day Baptist Adventists, <laughs> we don't think you ought to meet with us. It's causing confusion. But the Adventist Baptist said, but we, it's our church too. They said, yes, but no, 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 you can't meet anymore. But they said, it's our church. Well, they said, we'll see to it that you don't come in anymore. So our dear loved ones told us that the Seventh-day Baptists stationed two men with shotguns in the entrance to keep the Seventh-day Baptist Adventists out. My brother Lester was there this summer, and he told me he saw where one of their warning shots went through the roof. And so my grandfather, who was a Seventh-day Baptist, and my father and several of our relatives said, all right, let's get our own church. They walked less than a thousand feet from the church and they saw a spot of land. And my grandfather said, let's build a church here. And this church is going to be dedicated to religious liberty. Any Christian of any faith can be here. He does not have to believe as we believe. Isn't that beautiful? So they found the spot of ground and they began to lay a foundation. And my father and my mother went all over the place, later getting soliciting, and they built a church. In that church, a pastor by the name of S.L. Poole preached. He was the one whose resolution naming the Seventh-day Adventist denomination was accepted. He preached behind the pulpit of that little church. Ellen G. White attended that church, I was told. The other day, I didn't know she attended the church. Of course, not regularly, because she's a world traveler. She held a, had a marvelous vision not far from that church, in which, in the vision, she said repeatedly, my older brother told me, in the vision, she said repeatedly, cut loose! 
cut loose, cut loose. If that isn't a message to God's people, let us, brethren, cut loose from the sin that doth so easily beset us. Let us cut loose from any questionable reading, listening, any avenues of the soul that are holding on to anything that's questionable. Let's cut loose from it and let Jesus have supreme power and authority in the throne room of our hearts. Amen. There were five Seventh-day Adventist preachers in the Kuhn family who received some of their training in that church and some of us in the church school next door and others. Oh, my, we had a thriving little church there. It was wonderful. But as we boys and others grew older and went away to academies, our parents moved away. My father and mother moved to Union Springs Academy in New York to make it easier for us boys to get an education in the time when I was in the academy. So as the years came and went, finally, the church was without membership. And so by vote of the church, it was the services were terminated for the time being. In... Uh, our home was, ne was 50 feet or less from the church. In uh, 1958, in 1958, 1948, pardon me, in 1948, I was pastor of the Madison College, Tennessee Church. I had occasion to come back up to New York State, and I visited my mother, and while we're sitting together there, Mother was in tears. She said, have you just heard what's happening to our church? I said, no, tell me. Well, she said, I'll tell you. She said, the Cortland Church, 20 miles away, asked some of us old-timers if they could take our church down section by section and build it in Cortland. And we thought that would be wonderful because uh, there were not enough for a full service here and whenever we're around, we could still go to our church, only 20 miles away. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. She said, but later they learned that the city code, building code, would not permit a wooden structure. So without saying anything to us, what do you think they've done, Glenn? What do you think they've done? What did they do, Mother? She said, they sold our church to raise money to help them build their church. They've sold it to a church 70 miles away, Oswego, New York. And I could see she wasn't too happy over it. You know, you can, you, there's a way by which you can tell when people are not too happy. And I said, Mother, uh, why don't we ask them to let us buy it back? I didn't have any money. <laughs> but she said, we don't have any money. I said, no but the Lord will help us to get money. You know, somebody said, the cattle on the thousand hills are his, and if he needs a little more money, they said he can sell a cow. <laughs> you know, the cattle on the thousand hills, he can even sell a hill if he needs to. I said, Mother, let's call them and make an appointment and go down and tell them about the wonderful history of this church, what it stands for. The man who, who gave the resolution 
naming the denomination, preached behind that pulpit. Ellen G. White, the prophetess of the church, was there. She had a vision in that area. It is very historical. It stands for religious liberty. Let's go down. We made an appointment, called them on the phone, went down, talked to the church group. And I told them something about the history of the church. And I said, we're not blaming you at all. You paid for it. <laughs> so it's yours. But I said, would you be willing to look around a little more and see if you can find a church or a hall or something? And then they went into orbit. They said, Brother Kuhn, we have combed this city, we've combed this territory month after month, week after week, again and again and again. Do you think, Brother Kuhn, that we would go 70 miles away and take a church down section by section if we could get anything here? Well, that was reasonable. I said, we're not blaming you. But I said, I have a proposition. Since it stands historically, for what it does, would you be willing, and I told them something about Bible promises. Uh, you know, the Bible has some promises. How many know that? The Bible has some promises. It has 3,573 promises, or clusters of promises, sometimes five in one. And I said, you know, I've been claiming God's promises. They mean much to me. Would you mind, brethren, if we claimed a promise that God would help you still to find a place and, you know, they were very sweet. But they said, Brother Kuhn, you just don't seem to understand. We've been praying for months and months and months. You don't seem to understand. We wouldn't make a 140-mile trip to get a church section by section if anything had been available here. And they kept repeating it one way or another. And they looked at me much as say, don't you have any uh, <laughs> sense? <laughs> I knew I didn't have any dollars. <laughs> Finally, I said, would you consent to this, brethren? I understand we're not blaming you. Would you consent to this? Suppose we allow, I think I said, three days, three or four days, and we'll claim a promise from God, and if in three or four days you have not found what you want, we'll say that's what the Lord wants. He sees the church and its mission has been fulfilled. They finally very reluctantly consented, but they kept repeating, we've looked. So finally we knelt down and we claimed a promise. I wish I could remember which it was. I presume it's Philippians 4.19 because that seems to be my favorite. My God shall supply all your need. Do you need patience? My God shall supply all your need. Do you need a wife? My God shall supply all your need. Do you need to get rid of a wife? My God shall supply patience that you need. You need a church? My God shall supply all your need. He will do it. Not what we want, what we need. As we were getting up from our knees, beloved brethren, just getting up, we'd hardly gotten to our feet. And one man said to them, he said, Oh, by the way, it was by the way, he said, uh, I saw a notice on a hall for sale. And I took over that. I said, look, brethren, it's late already. We have to go 70 miles to get back home. I said, let's leave it this way. If in three or four days 
you find what you want, you'll call us, and we'll pay you whatever you ask. I didn't have any money to pay, but I didn't tell them. <laughs> that would have defeated it. About two days later, or three days later, they called by long distance. Glenn Coon, yes. We have found a hall. <laughs> but we're going to take out of the church everything that's in it. The pews, the organ, the stoves, the pulpit, the lights. I said, thank the Lord we got the flame left. <laughs> you know, you can either talk about the, the glass of water that's half full or the glass of water that's half empty. What are they doing to our church? No, we have the building left. Praise the Lord. Amen? Don't talk doubt. Don't be a pessimist. Don't be a sad Venice. Be a glad Venice. If you're a sad Venice long enough, you'll end up being a mad Venice. And if you're a mad Venice long enough, you'll end up being a bad Venice. Let's say, Lord, make us glad Venice, rejoicing in what we have not complaining what we don't have. We have the church left. Amen. How much do you want? They said $400. Now that was 29 years ago. You know how much that would be today? <laughs> uh, Bishop, how much would that be today? 400 About 4000 I said, we'll, we'll mail you the check. <laughs> From where? I claimed a promise and went to my little home bank in D. Ryder, New York, Emmeline. She knows Emmeline Burdick here, one of our cousins. Went up to that bank and I said, I want to borrow $400. And I told them I'd pay them, I think, $25 every four months, I think. That's a pretty heavy payment. At 6% interest, they said, okay. I mailed a check to the Oswego Church and we had a church. And they gave me a bill of sale. <laughs> now it was Glenn Coon's church. <laughs> I said, Mother said, what are you going to do now if we can't start a church? If we, if we can't start a church this year. I said, if we can't this year, we'll do it next year. She said, there's a little group interested, but I don't know what they're going to do. I said, well, when they do do it, we'll let the Lord do it when the Lord does it. Amen. I kept paying interest. I kept paying, I mean, the payments on the church. I got it insured until finally the insurance company said it isn't worth, isn't enough value. It isn't valuable enough to be insured. It has to be worth 5000 And I'd only paid 400 So we couldn't even insure it anymore. I said, Lord, help somebody not to burn it down. I paid to get it painted. I paid to keep it repaired. The next year, the next year, the next year, the next year, the next year. And 29 years passed. And as the Lord would have it, my wife and I and some of our team were invited to the New York camp meeting in Union Springs this summer, last summer, which closed July 2. My brother David lives at Union Springs. And David said, you've heard what's happened to that church school, haven't you? I said, what's happened? He said, the roof on one side is gone. Water's leaking in. And I could see he was saying, he was saying in his heart, let's forget it. You don't forget it. You wait on the Lord and you move. I said, by the way, we have a couple of days before camp meeting. 
If I will buy the material, will you go down and help me to, to put it, uh, re-roof it? You see, he's, he, is, he is only 81. There's no reason in the world why he can't still work. He said yes, and I said, I'll pay somebody else to help us. I paid another man $50. We went up to Auburn, New York, got the material, went down, and one day we had it re-roofed. And then at camp meeting, I ran into the new pastor of the Cortland District, Robert Tyson. And somebody said, did you know that the new pastor is interested in reactivating that church? Did you know that he's baptized some people near that church now? And they want to activate the church, and he's interested? I said, praise the Lord. Where is he? Faith works. Faith doesn't sit down, you see. Faith doesn't wait for a stone to move. Faith moves a stone. And I got a hold of the pastor, and he said, yes. He said, we plan to have a volunteer group do a little work this year, a little more next year, a little more the next year, and maybe eventually, after a few years, we'll have a memorial there. And I said, thank you, that's wonderful. We'll work with you. Well, he said, I think I can get some volunteers and a few years we may have a little memorial because it has quite a history. But faith works. Not Kuhn's faith, God's faith. Anybody's faith works. If you believe God, you work, right? So the thought kept coming to my mind, and I said to my brother David, let's, instead of getting back home as I have to, let's stay a few days extra, and let's call for volunteers to help us. July 3 is Sunday. It's a holiday. July 4 is the 4th of July. It's a holiday. Maybe we could get some volunteers to come help us to paint it outside and in. And did that church need a facelifting? But it was solid and firm, wonderful foundation. And I stood before the people as I st stood to preach that, that day. I preached every day there. All through the week. I said, I told them something about Lincoln Center Church. I said, we're asking for volunteers to come and help us. If we can get five for, for Sunday and five for Monday and five for Tuesday, we can get started on that church. And the pastor said, well, you know, we could do it later. I said, no, if we help you now, maybe you can start meetings this year. He said, this year? This year, pastor. Well, he said, this year, you know, it isn't long before this year's ended. We got 10 people to volunteer to come, not the 15. I said, there may be others that will want to come. Come meet us down at the Lincoln Center Church. Sunday morning when we went down there, there were 20 volunteers. Brother, did that church get a painting? Monday, there were 14. Tuesday, there were 15. A man and his sons who are beautiful uh, Dry lath workers, is that what the, what, drywall, drywall? They took a whole day tearing off the paper inside. <laughs> it was a job. Then they stuccoed it inside. They were specialists. Then they painted it inside. A lady walked up to me and she said, you know, my, <clears throat> my daddy went to school here, church school. May I be of some help? Yes, what would you like to do? She said, I'm an interior decorator. She said, would you like to have me kind of do a little interior decorating? I said, all of it. <laughs> all of it. 
What would you like to do? She said, would you mind if I, if I did a painting? I think it's something like 8 by 12 painting in back of the rostrum. Wonderful! And she said, we will do drapes over the windows. Drapes? They did the nicest set of drapes. And I said, look, <laughs> by the way, did you ever give $1,750 on borrowed money to help a church? That's what we did, and we said we're merely advancing it because others will come along and help us. <laughs> We've never gotten it back. I called my nephew and I said, Norman, we need a carpet there. He said, I'll pay for the carpet. A beautiful thoroughbred, super mulgunctious carpet has been put down wall to wall. This girl, Emma Jean, said, oh, maybe I'll kind of kind of fix that railing around the, around the, the rostrum. And she began to do the wainscoting. And they took paint and paint and varnish and varnish and paint off and off and off till they got right down to the wood. And they have done a beautiful job. They took those big doors down and they gave them the works till the door said, what are you doing to me? And they did a beautiful job. Brother Meldrum, a new member, I think it's put in about a hundred hours. We said, Lord, help others to come to our rescue. Norman said, I'll take care of the, the carpet. <laughs> My brother Lester said, I, I'm in deep in debt, I'll give 300. My brother David said, I'll pay for the outside restrooms. <laughs> I said, probably nobody else would be, want to be responsible. He said, I will. I said, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. I wrote a, a thrilling letter as I could to a friend of ours in California. She'd been loaning us money as we, as we print books. We'd pay it back at interest. We still owed her $2,000.01. Don't forget that one cent. Wrote her a letter, and I told her what a wonderful work was being done in Lincoln Center Church. Never solicited a cent. She wrote back, Brother and Sister Kuhn, whatever you still owe me, you put in Lincoln Center Church. And the church is now being insulated. That little old church, it never had electricity. They put the electricity in. The church said, what are you doing to me? This sounds good. It feels good. I've got more light than I ever had. <laughs> My floor is beautiful. My walls feel different. I've never, never had it so good. The 24th day of September, they had the first meeting in that church. And the church was crammed and rammed and jammed full of the saints of the Lord, rejoicing what God can do. And now a series of meetings is being conducted in the Lincoln Center Church. Twenty-nine years of waiting. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Friends, don't ever say to anybody, God isn't answering my prayers. That attitude itself cancels it out. Say, God is answering, but he's answering his wonderful, beautiful, glorious way. And you know, my wife and I then knelt down together several times since. We said, Lord, the 1750 is gone. We gave it on borrowed money. 
But did you know our favorite author did that many times for the Lord's cause? Lord, will you help us because we're now in trouble financially ourselves. Do you know, friends, you cannot outdo God. When Brother Newharth walked up to me night before last and handed me a check, a personal check, for $1,000 from somebody in California, I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But even that we're not taking to ourselves. We're putting in the ABC prayer program. My friend, faith is willing to be inconvenienced. I am so thankful to God for what Jesus Christ can do. Will you be praying for the people? As you pray for people around here, will you pray for people around that little area? I have a cousin, an old man now. We're praying that he will find the Lord during this series or at least before he passes away. If any man see his brother sin a sin that's not unto death, he may ask, God will give him life. Friends, God is delighted in our prayers. You agree? How many agree? That's not all. With God, all things are possible. Luke 1, 37. That isn't all. Faith acts, James 2, 18. That isn't all. Faith is willing to be inconvenienced, Hebrews 11. That isn't all. Faith is willing to wait, Psalm 37, 5 to 9. And that is all. The final answer is absolutely fabulous if we won't let go of the arm of the Lord. And last of all, God answers in a way we've never dreamed. Little did I dream 29 years ago that 29 long years would come and go before that church was reactivated. God knew it all the while. And God knew and his timing is absolutely perfect. And the same thing is true in your life. Shall we pray, our Father? I want to thank you beyond words for Jesus, my Lord. Lord, we're totally unworthy. As we've shared an, an experience tonight in which we were personally involved, may no one think that we deserve any credit. God forbid. But Lord, we're just trying to let people know how good God is. And, Lord, help us not to get impatient with you. Help us, Lord, to know that your ways are best, that your wisdom and love are infinite. And when things seem to drag, God forbid that we should go around telling people that our prayers are not being answered. For God is true. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? This evening, Lord, we pray that the soul that's been having a rough time financially or physically or in any other way or the heart, dear Lord, that longs for deliverance over some habit of sin right now or the heart that came in tonight without the assurance of eternal life, we pray that soul will just find it in Jesus right now tonight. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.